Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and it is always such a pleasure to have you come and listen to my show every week where we attempt to educate, empower, and inspire you so you can live a fearlessly authentic life. So I hope that everybody is having a wonderful week. And I want to thank everybody from around the world who listens and learns. And of course, I always, always want to hear you. And I want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to Fearlessly Authentic on Apple Podcasts. Please tell your friends um, because I work really, really hard to bring you amazing, informative, intelligent, guests who could really um, inspire you and you could take that knowledge and share it with everybody. Um, and I was, you know, as this the music came on and I listened to it every single week and my guest here and I are smiling at each other and, you know, it says, Jody used to be afraid to take risks. And I, I hear that every single week. And I whispered to my guest, I still am, you know, and I don't think we're ever completely fearlessly authentic, but I think it's a really, really good goal. And, you know, the reason I named the show this was because I was always a scaredy cat. And I think everything that we do when we take action, we're a little fearful. Um, but every time we take that step, we get and we embrace fear, we get closer and closer to living in our truth and living our most authentic life. So um, I can't wait to introduce my guest to you. So I am going to do it right now. Dr. Nina Savell Rockland, thank you so much for being on the show today. I am thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to have you here. Um, We have so much to talk about because as I was doing a little bit of... um, an intro about what the show would be about earlier, a few hours ago, you know, doctor, I'm going to give you my Dr. Nina's um, information just so you know who we're speaking with today, but it's about food and, you know, there's no, not food specifically, but, you know, food is everywhere. So it's so important to have that right relationship with it. And so I'm going to um, tell you who Dr. Nina is. She is Dr. Nina Sabelle Rockland. Um, P.S. Now, you know what? This is the first time I'm reading this. What is this? PsyD means I have a doctorate in in psychoanalysis rather than psychology. Okay, thank you. Sorry. (laughs) Rather than philosophy, it's a doctorate in psychology, psychoanalysis. So that's why it's PsyD rather than PhD. PhD is a doctorate in philosophy. Way more information than you need. No, I love that. I love that. Um, She's a psychoanalyst, author, and radio host specializing in eating disorders with an emphasis on binge eating disorder, internationally recognized for her unique perspective in the field of eating psychology. She is the author of The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating and Food for Thought, Perspectives on Eating Disorders, and co-editor of Beyond the Primal Addiction. 
She's the author of more than 50 articles about emotional eating and her YouTube series, Break Free from Binge, from Binging, helps viewers using an anti-diet approach. I love that. She also hosts the Dr. Nina Show radio program on LA Talk Radio. Again, Nina, welcome to the show. Um, let's get right into it. Um, one of the things that we discussed we were going to talk about today was the mind-body connection when it comes to food. Can you explain to our listeners what exactly that means? Well, we often think in terms of um, food is the problem, but food is the answer to the problem. And the way we describe the problem can be in what we talk about, the way we talk about ourselves and our bodies. So, for example, one of the things a lot of people say is, I feel fat. I feel so fat today. Well, fat is not a feeling. Fat is a substance. (laughs) Fat is... Something necessary to life. Fat is not a feeling, but we use those words to describe something. We might really mean like, I'm too much, or I feel too much, something like that. And so when you say, I feel fat, the mind-body connection is your, your body is expressing something that your mind is actually trying to hide from you. Um, yeah, can you get a little bit deeper into that? Because I am guilty um, of, you know, I competed in fitness shows for 10 years. So I knew the difference of being at a weight that I couldn't sustain because it was for a fitness show. And I took lots of photos because in that moment, I was that weight. I was that, I had that much muscle on my body. And so a lot of girls who compete in fitness shows end up, and, and tell me if I'm wrong for saying this, um, have eating disorders afterwards because every if they don't look exactly show ready, then they think they look fat. So I really want to delve into that psychology because I'm guilty of saying, I feel fat, I feel fat, I feel fat. And I don't say it out loud because I'm all of, you know, 110 pounds and five feet tall, which to some people that might be fat, but, you know, I don't really talk in those terms except to myself, but that's what we're talking about. Exactly. So what do you mean by that at any particular time? I I just did an article for Psychology Today on Zoom dysmorphia, and I talked about a patient of mine who always felt ugly, which Mm. is very similar to what we're talking about. And she's like, I'm I'm so ugly. I feel so ugly. Well, ugly is not a feeling, and she's anything but ugly. She's actually quite beautiful. But Mm. she she thought she was ugly, and really it was she had these what she thought were ugly emotions. You know, ugly feelings, difficult, painful, awful feelings that she would describe as ugly. So the same thing is is what's meant by I feel fat. For some people, it's, oh, I feel some icky, yucky, ucky feelings. But instead of saying, oh, I feel these emotions, it's I, I feel my body is too much. Instead of I feel too much, it's my body is too much. Yes. And, and that is how I, that when I do feel that full feeling... Yes, it feels like my body is too much for me. So I would ask you in those moments, what is it in your life, in your world, in your thoughts, in your emotions that feels too much to bear that then gets focused on your body? Because it's easier to focus on our body Mm -hmm. and, you know, run an extra five or 10 miles or, you know, try to deal with that fatness, Mm -hmm. quote unquote fatness. Right, right. The, the actual big, uncomfortable feelings we have. 
Yes. It's so interesting to think about the, again, that psychology and I catch myself, um, you know, just again, keeping it to myself or sharing it with somebody who really gets me because I know I'm not fat and I'm sure you deal with a lot of patients who aren't actually fat, but they feel that. So how do you help them besides saying, let's delve into the emotions? I mean, is that where you go deep, very deep with them? Yeah. So how I work is it's like a, a weed and a root. If we're only focused on the weed and we keep plucking the weed, which is what dieting does, right? You mm. want to lose weight or something and you keep going on a diet. It's like plucking yes. a weed. If you just pluck a weed, you know it's going to grow back because you got to get to the root. And it's the same with any behavior. If you are only looking at on the surface, what is the behavior, what you what you know what's or what's logical, you're not looking at what's psychological and what's under the surface, which I like that analogy because it's similar to our unconscious minds. It's what's hidden from us that sometimes has the most impact over our behavior. And, and so what I do is I say, look, this is very symbolic. So mm. we got to think symbolically. And I tell them, we're detectives. We're detectives of your mind. And we're going to solve the mystery of why you feel fat all the time or why you can't stop eating Oreos or why this or why that. Let's be detectives together and look at all of this as a clue. So we're not looking at like, oh, you've, you know, feeling fat or you ate this or you ate that. It's why did you eat it? What is the experience of fat to you? Because everyone is an individual and everyone has a different uh, meaning for it. So once if, if I if, if I say, well, if you couldn't feel fat and you were to talk about like being too much or mm. something's weighing on you, something is yes. heavy, even look at the way our languages and our mm. vernacular and our culture, we talk about weighty matters or, oh, that's really heavy. Right. So to, to really translate that into, okay, what's weighing on you? What's eating at you rather than how much do you weigh and what are you eating? So you talk about what's eating at you all the time. In different ways. Yes. Yeah. So can you explain that in more detail? Well, I'd be able to explain it maybe if I had a more specific situation because it's different for everybody. But uh, what I get, what I'm trying to get to is... And this is where being a psychoanalyst comes in because mm -hmm. we are trained to get into the, to get to the root that is hidden. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I look at what history is being repeated. Mm -hmm. So, for example, this is a common one. Someone who's was raised by critical parents then becomes very self-critical. And then what happens when you're self-critical and you're always beating yourself up and telling yourself how you coulda, shoulda, woulda, and why did you do that? And that should be better. And the, 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 the. what do you want to do? You want to get away from that mean voice. There's food. So a lot of times people eat to get away from their own mean voices, but it's not enough to say, just be nice to yourself. Right. That doesn't right. work. You've got to look at, well, how did you learn to be mean to yourself in the first place? Oh, how did I learn to be critical to myself? Okay, example. I'm at the I'm 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 at the park. This is a while ago when my oldest child was about four or five, and she's playing <laughs> in the park with her friends. And there were these two little toddlers, little boy and a little girl, and they were playing in the sand. And all of a sudden, the little boy gets up and he toddles away with the little girl's shovel. And so naturally, she begins to cry. 
Right. Because little dude left with the shovel and who hasn't been there? So <laughs> she and her mom starts running up going, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Like panicked. Right. And of course, the little girl is crying because she's sad and she's hurt and she's upset. And the mom's like digging in her diaper bag. And she goes, don't cry, don't cry. Here, mm. have a cookie. Mm, right. So what yes, did that little yes. girl learn in that moment? If you have a feeling, don't have it. Absolutely do not have it because it's going to make other people anxious. But if you can't stop yourself from having that feeling, eat a cookie. Eat a cookie. And one day, that's what she's going to tell herself. She's going to be upset. Some dude's going to not call her back. Something's going to happen. And she's going to be like, don't cry. Don't cry. Where are the cookies? Mm. we got to learn, like, where do we learn to relate to ourselves in the way that we do? And that's the mind-body connection. There it is. That's how it's so connected. Everything is mind-body connection. But also, like you said, even being raised a certain way, if your parents were very critical or you were raised by critical people around you, um, I know food was a really big thing for me, um, but I... I don't remember my mom especially rewarding us at certain times for to for food to be comforting but you know I just remember growing up and everyone on my mom's side of the family was morbidly obese everybody on my dad's side of the family were little tiny russian people and there was it was just very very different and I just remember looking at the pain in my relatives that were um, unhealthy and I couldn't understand, you know, as a little girl, why, why they continued to, I knew even as a little girl, I would see them eating a lot of cookies. I would see them eating a lot of food and I wouldn't, under, I would understand, I couldn't understand like, why did they do that? And now their knees hurt. They're, you know, everything hurts on them. You could see them limping away and they weren't old back then. They were old to me at five years old. Everybody's old. And does that have something to do with, you know, the way you're raised also? But I mean, for me, it was a big thing. I, I just remember that very specifically at five going, I don't want to be in that much pain when I get older. Didn't know, really understand the whole food, mind, body connection. So I was just wondering about that. Yeah, it's not logical, it's psychological. And a lot of times people go, I know, I know this or I know that. But it's psychological is it's what you don't know that has the most effect on you. Mm. Another example of, of the mind-body connection are people who get headaches all the time. Yes. Oh, I have a headache. Um, uh, and often it's, they can't, they, there's, there are things that are painful to think about. Now, mm-hmm. some people have migraines or they get headaches because of you know, physical things. It's not all psychological. But right. a lot of people will, will convert emotional pain to physical pain. Another way they do that, some people do that, is by eating so much it hurts. Right? Yes. It's so much it hurts. They're mm. in physical pain. And now they're focused on the physical pain, not on what is it that made them eat and be unable to stop eating. Something emotional is going on. And now they've converted their emotional pain to physical pain, which, of course, is a lot easier to deal with than emotional pain. Right. Because you can talk about I'm in so much pain. My stomach hurts or or have a headache and not talking about that they just ate. You know, you're talking about Oreos, a whole box of Oreos. 
And I know on your Instagram, you talk a lot about it. There was one post you put up about, I eat a healthy, something with you eating a cookie because you want people to understand that the cookie is not the enemy, right? Yes. One of the, the first things that I say in my, in my book, one of the, the first of the seven steps to outsmart emotional eating is ditch dieting because dieting, first of all, the anticipation or experience of deprivation, which is dieting only makes you want something more. Yes. And if I say like, like, like if I said you can never eat eggplant again, Jody, you'd probably want to eat eggplant just because you couldn't have it. Correct. And if we say, well, we can't have pizza or pasta or bread or ice cream or whatever it is on your anything with a carb, you know, because it's on your bad list. Right. And of course, you're going to want that. And and then because you think, well, I'm being bad now, so I've blown it. So I might as well have a lot of it. And the cycle continues. So, so true. So dieting is the like like it focuses on what you're eating instead of why. And I just absolutely love that because again, from somebody who came from never having never had a weight issue, um, and seeing my mom struggle, my dad not. I had a sister; she's still morbidly obese, and she struggles. And then another sister who was more like my my genetic makeup. And uh, never had a weight problem. But again, that whole screwed up psychology of when I competed, like always wanting to stay like that. I think because I was older when I started competing, I already knew my body and what it could do. So I didn't allow myself to get there. But look, you know, I would look, I would still look at my body and go, oh, damn, why can't I always walk around at 105 and 12% body fat? Because it's not normal. It's not normal. And to live, and deprivation is not good for you. And I even do it to myself every once in a while. Okay, actually last week, I'm not going to eat bread. And my daughter said to me, mom, that's stupid. You you tell people that's stupid. Why are you doing it? I go, because I want to just try it. Guess what? It, 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 it failed miserably. And I ended up eating more bread than normal versus two slices of bread, right? Exactly. Because you, if you th- because when you can't have it, you want it and it's out of balance. Whereas if you can choose it, like other daughter story. Um, uh, so with, with me, it was how ha- it's Halloween, like eat whatever, eat how many chocolate right. you want, eat whatever candy you want, because I have faith in her ability to regulate herself. She can eat whatever she wants. So she she just want, eats however much she wants. Whereas her friend, we went trick-or-treating with her friend who you know, knew that her parents were going to confiscate the Halloween candy and dole out two pieces a day until next Halloween, right? And so that friend is just like sneaking candy yes. the whole time. I mean, she must have had like 30 or 40 pieces of candy, no lie. Mm. My daughter had maybe two pieces. And then she said, oh, I'm so hungry. And my husband said, you have a, a king-size <laughs> pillowcase full of candy. Have some candy. And she said, oh, Kavana said, I don't want candy. I want real food. Oh Love my it. God! It Yay! Was a moment. Yay! It was, it was such an it was such an example of because if you can have it, you can decide if you want it and how much you want to have of it. Whereas if you can't have it, you're gonna be like a friend and just well, she was binging on it. True, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about binging and overeating. 
I haven't, and I'm not trying to trump your story, but I have a story like that from somebody I went to high school with. And he said, um, Jody, I think it's, and then we, and then we ended up dating like after I was divorced for a little while, but anyway, um, and he would say, Jody, teach me how to eat healthy, teach me. And then he shared a story of when he was growing up that when he went to summer camp, all the kids were getting care packages from their parents. Now this man is like, I don't know, 65 years old right now. And he, um, his mom would send him like just very healthy things because she was always very healthy. So he would get like nuts and, you know, just things like that. And everybody's getting all these yummy things. So what he would do is just binge on his friend's stuff because he was so deprived. And, you know, I tried teaching him the balance, but like you, I did the same thing with my daughters. It was always there. They can, there was no deprivation in my house. So when Halloween came, same thing, two or three bites, they were done. The candy would just sit there on the counter. So that's why, I mean, for everybody listening, like deprivation is just not ever the way to go. It's never, ever, ever. Um, but still, Nina, so many people do that. How do you, what kind of advice can you give them for getting around that? Or what can they say to themselves? Or is it journaling? What is it that where we can stop the deprivation? Well, to, to look at what are the ideas that you have, what are the food rules that you have in the first place and challenge those. I can't tell you how many times I am out to dinner or something or outside always. Uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I hear people say, oh, I'm being so bad. Oh, I'm being bad. Grown-ass women yes. saying, oh, I'm being been- bad because I'm going to be bad and order the pasta. Oh, I'm going to be good and order the salad. We are divorced. I hear it too. I know. Like we we have to we have to challenge these these ideas that you're bad if you eat some this kind of food and you're good if you eat that kind of food and start listening to our bodies because our bodies are so wise our bodies have the wisdom and if we start asking ourselves what does my body need and at first it's sort of like well my body needs cake and pizza and then when you get past that and you realize you can have all the cake and pizza you want it may not feel very good in your body, then you, you can go, okay, I need protein. What kind? Or I really need vegetables. You really can listen to your body. And then you can have cake or ice cream for dessert and not binge on it because it's a forbidden fruit um, because we want the thing we can't have. And we also use food for comfort in our society. Um, let's, yeah, let's talk about the binge eating um, since your book, and here it is again, which I love, The Binge Cure, right here, the beautiful picture. Um, so let's talk about the difference between binge eating and overeating. Okay, so everyone overeats occasionally. Um, you know, Thanksgiving is sort of a national overeating day mm-hmm. where we're just expected to overeat. But when you overeat, maybe you have a little bit too much or you were really hungry and maybe you ate too fast and therefore you ate too much and you didn't know you were full till too late. And it's not it's not a shame filled experience. It's, oh, I overdid it. OK, you know, I'm going to cut back tomorrow or or just, oh, I overdid it. And it's it's not um, it, it's not a character or a logical deficit to you or, you know, you don't right. beat yourself up. 
binging, it has a compulsive. Oh, and one thing about overeating is some it's more enjoyable. Okay. Like, oh, I just can't stop eating that delicious cake. Delicious cake. Oh, I'm just gonna have one more one more piece. Binging is a compulsive, okay. like can't stop it, full of shame, regret. And if you overeat, you say, Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Ah. When you binge, it's oh, there's something wrong with me. Mm. And that's shame. And it's it's painful and horrible and full of remorse and self-loathing. The shame. That's where it really that that's really where we start using the words like bad. I was bad. And I think the people that do are aware of the fact that they're a binge eater um, do feel that shame. Absolutely. And sometimes they're eating things they don't even like or want, or and it's often huge quantities. And sometimes it's not even real food. I mean, I, I've had people tell me they just eat raw oatmeal or just whatever it is. It's a it's a compulsive behavior that has to do with resolving something emotional, whereas Overeating is just about food. And so when you work with men and women, and I know you talked about also, I saw your Instagram post that men have eating issues too. This is not, when I say eating issues, please understand that I'm just making, I'm simplifying that. Okay. Um, There are eating disorders that I think so many people think eating disorders equal women, but there are lots of men that also have eating disorders. Yes. Absolutely. About a third of of the people in my practice are guys. Mm. And most of the people that I treat are women in their 30s through 70s. Wow. Many, many of the majority of of them being in their 50s and 60s. And they've dieted all their lives. And they realize, wait, I think that a diet's not going to resolve this. And they think they're food addicts. And they think they have no willpower. And they think they have no control. And it's not, that's not the problem. Food is not the problem. It's what's eating at them. That's the problem. And that takes a while to get down, down into exactly what's eating them, that it's not the food. I think of that all the time from all the times that we've spoken about that. It's what's eating you. It's not what you're eating. And I think once we understand that relationship, then we can maybe step away a little bit because we all need food in our life. We can't we can't escape it. You know, um, my mom is, my mom had a stroke about five, six years ago and she's in a, a nursing home. And just late yesterday, I was talking to my daughter, my daughter, my sister. Well, that, where'd that come from? Um, Dr. <laughs> Nina, where did that come from? I must feel like the mother there. Um, anyway, I am the oldest of three girls. So, and she's concerned that my mom's not eating. And, you know, this is my mom's way, because I know my mom very well, of getting my sister to come from Long Island to visit her here in Connecticut. And so she's like, okay, well, I'm going to try to manipulate my sister. And I'm going to say, I'm not going to eat. That'll get her on the ferry over here real fast. So, you know, I don't know, you know, people use food in so many different ways, right? Maybe manipulation. I don't know. Absolutely. And they also use it with themselves. Mm. So, so there's a, we have to crack the code of emotional eating and see like, what is this food doing for you at any particular time? The food is the solution to the problem. So what's the problem? And that's, can you say that one more time? The food is the food is the solution to the problem. 
it is not the problem. Our work is to find the problem, but I figured out a way to do that. And we're going to talk about that after the break. So stay with us and we are going to find out what Dr. Nina's seven ways to outsmart emotional eating are when we get back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code PODCAST to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. And hello, we are back to Fearlessly Authentic with my guest, Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland. And we, before the, before the break, we talked about um, Dr. Nina said she had seven ways to crack the code of emotional eating. And we're going to get right into that right now because it's so, so important for you to share. Take it away, Dr. Nina. Well, what, what I said was if, if, you, if there's a reason that you're turning to food, but you don't know what that reason is, it's out of your awareness, mm. but you're not, you're not thinking, oh, I'm, something is bothering me, so I'm eating that ice cream. You're just going, oh, I can't stop eating that ice cream. I found a way to crack the code of emotional eating, which is one of my seven steps, um, right. which is like, how do we find Trick. out? To her book. 
the binge yes. cure. Here yeah. it is right here. Get this. Available get on it. Amazon. Yes, please get it. And, um, you know, if not for you, we, we can all learn. I've read the book and um, share it with somebody that, you know, needs her help. So it's a great book. So I think I, I think last time I was on the show, I might have talked about this, but I'm going to say it again really fast mm-hmm. about my patient who thought she was a food addict mm-hmm. and that nothing was bothering her. But as she was watching TV, all of a sudden, Ben and Jerry's was calling her name. Yes. And it turned out that, so she thought she just was addicted to Chunky Monkey. Turned out, watching TV, which was about like sisters fighting, activated her own sister stuff. But before she could be consciously aware that she was triggered, she went to Ben and Jerry's for comfort. But to her, the problem was Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's was the solution to the problem. The problem is her situation with her sister and her inability to, or what it was, her inability to process that. So what do you do if you don't have me telling you, except in the book I do, how do you, like, what do you do if, 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 if you don't have me with you, how do you crack the code yourself? Yeah. How do you figure it out? So I figured it out, which is I, I started noticing that when patients were talking about, um, ice cream or, or pudding or smooth, creamy kind of stuff like that, they really needed comfort. When they were talking about eating the whole bag of Doritos, uh, they were angry. They had some kind of frustration, annoyance, irritation, anger that they were expressing through eating Doritos, anything with a crunch. Anything with a crunch. And I also noticed that when they were eating filling foods like cake, muffins, pizza, pasta, burgers, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They had a void they were experiencing some kind of void in their lives. Either they were lonely or there was some emptiness, there was something missing from their lives that was getting symbolically filled. So one of the things that is so important is to uh, oh, and chocolate. I don't talk about specifically chocolate in the book, but chocolate fits the categories chocolate is either kind of creamy center which is needs comfort right um chocolate is uh or it has nuts in it Mm. right which is anger Mm. or or it's like really crisp dark chocolate which is also anger and and so if you find yourself being drawn to smooth creamy foods. And this is, by the way, not because you're eating ice cream for dessert after a lovely meal. This is when you're eating ice cream to drown your sorrows or when you're eating ice cream or any of these things to resolve something emotional. Then you need to find a new way of comforting yourself, which I also teach you in the book. Um, If it's anger, then you need to find a new way of expressing that anger, only not turning it on yourself for eating the bag of Doritos or pretzels or whatever. And if it's filling foods, you need to look at what are the voids in your life and come to terms with them and find ways to fill them and at least recognize them. Do you suggest that um, people pause before they open up the bag of Doritos? Do you ever suggest before you open up the cabinet and you're ripping open the Doritos or you open up that freezer, do you tell them to try to take a pause, take a walk? I mean, that's, I am, I do not have the schooling that you have, but being in the fitness industry for as long as I've been and having a nutrition background, I would suggest to my clients, 
you know, before you do something like that, um, are you think about, are you really hungry? This was the advice I gave them. Are you really still hungry? Um, because when we finish a meal, sometimes we don't even pause. We, we put the fork down, we go right to the freezer or right to the cabinet. Are you still really hungry? And I always suggested they take a walk or think about, you know, is this food nutritious? But I'm sure that you have a different way of suggesting what they do to sort of change that behavior, right? Yes, I, I would say let's reframe what success is. No longer are we going to say that success is you not eating the whatever, ice cream, chips, whatever. That's not success at this point. Success is taking a pause and asking yourself why you want to eat it. What's going... So we start with identifying it. What is the problem? And, and after a while, that moment of, oh, I want, I want this uh, because I'm so mad... Uh, at, at first it's, at first it's, I'm addicted to chips, right? I have no power over chips. Then it's, then it's later. Oh, maybe I, maybe I ate those chips cause I'm mad at my husband or my partner mm. or whatever. Then it's, I'll show, you know, I'll show him. I'm going to eat those chips and yeah. I'm going to show him. Right. Right. That's right. Uh, then it's, oh, I know why I want to eat those chips, mm. but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Then it's, I know I want it why I want to eat those chips, but you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to journal about it. I'm going to call a friend and tell them how pissed off I am. Yes. And the very last step of change is I'm not thinking about chips because I, when I get upset, I know how to respond to myself. I love that. So it's a whole behavioral change. Whole change, but it starts, yes, it's, it starts really small. So it, the, it's not about the food part. It's about Focusing on, well, why are you doing? Be a detective. Be curious, not critical. Go, what's going on with me? What would I be thinking about or feeling or what would I do if I were not going to eat this or focus on that? Because it's a lot easier to focus on, oh, my God, I ate all that than it is to look at what's really bothering you. I love that you use the word detective. You said it before, too. But being a detective. And how did you phrase that again? Because I think that's... yeah, detective of the mind. Mm. So why why did I want to eat that? Or why do I want to eat that? Maybe I'll journal. I mean. What's going on with me? What's going on with yeah. me? That's a great what's question to ask me? yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That must take a while to shift, to make that shift in your behavior, right? It does take a shift because a lot of times we're really mean to ourselves. Mm. And I used to see this when I had an in-person group. Um, they, the people would be like, someone would say, oh, my God, I ate pizza, like a whole pizza. And the whole group would say, oh, something's bothering you. It's okay. Like, just think about why, what's going on with you. And then it would get to be their turn. And they'd say, I ate pizza. I suck. I'm, I'm disgusting. I hate myself, right? So right. people often treat other people in this really compassionate, warm, lovely, loving yes. way but they treat themselves in a really harsh, horrible way. And then they end up eating just to get away from their own mean voice. Right. Right. And that's, and again, it's all has to do with what's eating you, right? Coming back to what's really, really eating you and being that detective. And, you know, another thing that um, you've mentioned, and I want to go through the, all of the seven ways um, is you, you mentioned again on social media and people can find you at 
give them your Do- handle. Dr.Nina.Psychoanalyst. Okay. And you have such great content on there. Um, one of the things that you posted about recently was obsessing over every morsel of food. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if you use, you use the word morsel, but what is your research um, told you about people who obsess over every piece of food that they eat? What's that about? Well, it could be about different things, but one of the first questions I ask them is, and I have a, I have a magic wand. It's not within reach, but my, I have my <laughs> magic wand. Now I have three magic wands. Love it, love it. I have some kind of magic wand compulsive thing. Um, and if I wave my magic wand and I took away your ability to think about food, what would be on your mind? Like, what are you not thinking about because you're focusing on what you ate? What are you not thinking about because you're focusing on your body? My very first group for women who binge ate, um, there was one woman who was just not on board with this philosophy at all. I was, a, like, I was an intern and I was very intimidated by all these women. <laughs> But I, I, and I remember this one, she was, she just was like, no, I'm a food addict. I'm a food Mm -hmm. addict. I'm addicted to ice cream, this and that. And then the very last day, the very last day of the meeting of the group, she said, you know, if I lost 20 pounds, I think I'd, I think I'd leave my husband. Okay. So. Right. That was her. She couldn't. She had to focus on food. She had to focus on her weight because if she didn't, she might be thinking about her marriage and that she was unhappy and wanted to leave him. And if she actually did lose weight, she was afraid she'd be impulsive and might leave him. So, right. There's always a reason. That's why being curious and being that detective, being a detective because detectives are, are curious. They're not critical. Detectives don't go, well, that's weird that you did that. What, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with you? Detectives go, that's really interesting. This is a good clue. Mm. Okay. Now we know more. We have more information. This is good. I'm, I'm so going what- to use that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take away this whole detective. I, I need my detective hat. Um, I know we touched upon number one, ditch dieting in the seven yeah. ways. Um, to outsmart emotional eating, ditch dieting, like forget about it. Don't deprive yourself, right? And dieting makes you fat in the long run. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, right? Yes. Decades long studies have shown that you will gain weight in the long run if you diet. And there are a, a plethora of reasons for that, which I detail in the book, but yeah, just stop dieting, just stop and throw away your scale while you're at it. And also in, like you said at the beginning, um, listen to your body. Think about what your body actually needs. Um, crack the code of emotional eating. We talked about that creamy, crunchy that's, muffins. Yeah. Um, food mood formula. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to just go through them and I want you to, I know we touched upon a few already, make peace with food and yourself. That That's basically turning your inner critic into a friend. Because when we're critical to ourselves, as I said, we, we want to eat to get away from our own mean voice. Because when you're in that bingy place, you're, not, you're almost not thinking, you're not feeling, you're not attacking yourself. So it's like you're escaping you. And when you're nice to yourself and you can soothe yourself with words, guess what? You don't need to do it with food. Right, right. Um, free yourself from the past and transform your present. 
So that's where you have to look at, similar to the example I gave of the woman at the, at, you know, who was panicked because her daughter was crying and said, have a cookie, have a cookie, don't cry. Mm-hmm. You got to look at how did you get here? How did you learn to relate to yourself and food in this way? What from the past is haunting your present? Because people often say to me, well, you're a psychoanalyst. Is everything about the past? Like the past is over and done with. I don't want to talk about the past. I know. Nobody wants to talk about the past, <laughs> and, right? And, and I, I, what, what I say to them is, look, the past is not in the past. It is haunting your present. Because if you're judgmental to yourself, guess what? You might be drawn to judgmental people who might also remind you of people from the past. You might be, if you had a judgmental parent, you might choose a judgmental partner and try to get a different response out of them. And it just repeats the past. And our whole idea is let's put the past in the past by healing it, by working through it, by going through kind of a grieving process of what happened and what didn't happen so that you can stop being judgmental of yourself. I'm using judgmental as just an example. Sure. And so that you can pick friends and partners and people in your life who are healthier in the present because you no longer need to resolve something from the past with a present person, if that makes sense. No, I mean, the healing of the past always comes back when we, we haven't healed from the past. It always comes back to haunt us. So we could, we need to be aware of that behavior so we don't continue to repeat it. Otherwise, we will be 70, 80, 90 years old and continuing those same patterns, right? Exactly. Yeah. We don't grow out of it with time. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, When the internal tug of war, explain that. Yeah, that's about conflict um, or defense mechanisms that can come up that can really get in the way of of how we're relating with ourselves. and there are so many of them that they're in the book, but they're all very common ways in which we're in conflict, which is like we're there's a logical part of us and a psychological part of us, mm-hmm. a part that wants so a part that wants to lose weight, like the person in the group, but another part that is afraid to lose weight because then she's going to lose her leave her husband. So we so this chapter is about the different ways we're in conflict that we. We simultaneously want something, but don't want something. You know, when you brought up the word fear and, you know, I think so much of our behavior, whether it has to do with food or maybe drugs or alcohol or exercising obsessively, whatever it is, has something to do with fearing something, maybe. Yes. Am I right? Yes. My book uh, that I wrote with Dr. Salman Oktar or co-edited, we each did a chapter, um, it's called Beyond the Primal Addiction, and it's all these different addictions, food addiction, even though I don't believe in food addiction, right, uh, or right. work addiction, or, you know, internet, shopping, all these addictions, they're all different, different weeds, same root. So it's different ways of trying to uh, not be with ourselves, or escape ourselves, or, um, you know, gratify something, or, you know soothe ourselves in some ways, but, but it's all ways of not being with ourselves. And we need to learn to be with ourselves, which brings me to, of course, the problem in our culture, which is our society says, don't feel anything. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Don't, right. Don't take drugs. Emotion. You're saying maybe to take to take drugs to numb our feelings so we don't feel it. Is that what you're saying? Well, our society says, you know, if you if you're sad, you're depressed, take a take a pill. Antidepressant, right. You're anxious, take a pill. You're angry, go to anger management. Like feelings are not okay. You're weak if you feel them. You're strong if you Mm. don't. So what the heck do we do with our feelings? We Mm. eat them, we starve them, we shop them, we drink them, we et cetera. Right, right. So many and I'm sure you could, when you're out and about, you can you can see where people are putting their emotions, right? It's probably so easy for you to pick something up. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next one is stop the sabotage. Yeah, the sabotage. Uh, so many people will actually you know, get close to their goal weight or lose weight or start to feel really good. And then boom, they can't put it on fast enough or they get... They get just to in within target, and then they they just start eating a bunch of stuff and gain it back, or or they just lose. Like it's very common. Is the, do you think you know? And, and I, I've read a lot of st- stories, um, um, research about this. Is it because people fear the new person they're going to become that they're so close to that new human or that new behavior that scares the hell out of them? Yet for some people, um, and and that's where I, I also want to say that this work is not about changing. Like a lot of people have this illusion that if you change your body, you change your life. And sometimes when they get close to their goal weight, they still feel the same inside. Yes. And so as long as you have this illusion that you're going to be a different person if you lose weight, it's really like there's hope. But when you get closer to that weight and you're still the same person, that could be devastating. There's also fear of objectification. A lot of people are afraid of being sexualized or, mm. you know, treated as an object in in some way, especially if you've had a history of abuse. Yes. Or fear of failure, fear of success, fear of impulsivity. Again, the person who was going to uh, afraid that she would just like leave her husband. If she felt good about her body, she'd be, I'm out of here and things like that. So there's so many different reasons why people are actually scared to be thin. It's interesting. It's fascinating. I don't, it's, um, you know, how did you get involved in, in specifically doing this type of research? Well, I mean, my own history of being the poster child for eating disorders and then from the age of five and then eventually going to therapy in college and never talking to my therapist about the fact that I was the poster child for eating disorders. Mm. But in the course of my being in therapy, all my eating disorders starting started to go away. And I mean, I would wake up and my first thought was, what am I going to eat today? What am I not going to eat? How many calories can I burn? Am I get, I mean, my first waking thought is, am I going to lose weight today or not, essentially? My last waking thought was, am I going to lose weight tomorrow or gain it? I, I, I went to therapy and I never talked about food and all my eating disorders went away because I learned it was never about food. It was about something going on with me. And I really wanted to uh, bring that to more and more people. And when I when I started off 20 years ago, I said, I'm only going to see people who have eating issues. And everyone said I was crazy. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, this is what I'm going to do because it's not, it, it, it's so pervasive. And there's so many people who think that 
They have. They think there's something wrong with them. They think they have no control. They think they right. have no willpower. They think they're food addicts. Whatever it is, they're wrong. They just don't know how to cope. Oh, so many people need you. Uh, thank you for sharing why you got involved in this. Um, and why you've made it like your life's passion to help other people. So I'm so grateful that you're here and sharing your knowledge. Um, the last one, number seven, is living in the moment. Yeah. So I, I like to think about a ladder of life, right? Mm-hmm. And and too often we're always going, am I there yet? You know, mm-hmm. we're always looking up, going, when am I going to get there? And we need to take a pause and say, hey, look at how far I've come on this ladder. And yeah, I want to go, I want to keep going up, of course, but let me be where I am. And different ways of, of, so this chapter is about how do you balance your life? How do you live in the moment? How do you stay on the rung where you are and appreciate the now? So important that we don't do. We're always so, so preoccupied with getting to the next place and the next place. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you before we close out today, and you know, we still have so much to talk about, so you definitely have to come back again. Um, you know, and the things that you help your patients with, and what you've overcome yourself, you are living a fearlessly authentic life. But specifically, what does it mean to you to live a fearlessly authentic life? To me, it means trusting myself. Even when other people say, that's crazy. Like when I said, I want it, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to focus on. Everybody told me that I was crazy. Everybody. Everybody. They said and, nobody would come to you. This is silly. There's so many other like, issues, right? You have three people. Like, what are mm-hmm. you talking about? Well, so I, I think just being able to trust myself and know what is right for me. Just trust me and not... And, and not listen to all the other stuff. I still have fear, but I believe in feeling the fear and doing it anyway. I just finished a, a script for a TEDx talk, and now I'm, I'm supposed to get booked on it by this person who books you out. And part of me is like, <gasps> like what? what am I doing? What am I doing? Right. Part of me is, and another part of me is saying, oh, yeah, Bring I can't really do this. So it's yeah. about being able to hold both and know that the, the bigger purpose is to uh, get out there and share what I know and what I feel and inspire people and that I can do it even if I'm a little scared. Yeah, because we're always a little scared all the time, right? Like you said. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Nina, how can people reach you besides um, Instagram, which let's give it to everybody again one more time. It's 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 dr doctor dot nina dot psychoanalyst. I might be changing it soon, so reach out for me on my website, which is dr nina inc d r n i n a i n c dot com, and you can also uh, like watch my radio show through that, or you can go on Apple Podcasts yes. and you can access all the things that I have for you off my website, dr nina inc. Wonderful. And the name of the book, again, is The Binge Cure, um, available on Amazon, correct? On Amazon, and, in, in, and I narrated the audio version. It's I me know. talking yes, and paperback it. and Kindle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nina. And um, I hope you enjoyed the show. And I will talk to you all and see you all next week. And hope that you have a fearlessly authentic day. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. 
please listen again next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.